All right, greetings to all of our campuses and our traditions venue, uh, also our friends in LaSalle that are watching this on video. We are so glad that all of you are here. Uh, I want to give a special welcome back to our college students. We missed you. Um, and for those of you who are freshmen and are kind of checking out Christ community, we are so glad you are here. We, we are a church that's all about being real with God and being real with each other. And we're also about doing what we can to to make a difference in the world. And we would love for you to be a part of what God's doing at, at Christ Community. So again, welcome. And also, uh, also for those parents of college students who are here and who are soon going to be dropping off your child, my heart goes out to you. Uh, we just dropped off our third child at a college in Nebraska, so I'm feeling your pain. Um, and I just want you to know that this church is a great place for your child to grow in his or her faith. And we're really glad they're here. So we are, we are nearing the end of a teaching series we've been doing all summer long. For the past couple months here, we have been in a series called Jesus Unexpected. And in this series, we are looking together at, at the first few, uh, first few chapters of the, in the book of Luke, which is a very well-researched, detailed account of Jesus' life and ministry. And our goal has been to discover or rediscover who Jesus really is. A lot of times we end up having these perceptions of Jesus that aren't necessarily accurate in our modern culture. You know, we see some pretty weird ideas about who Jesus is. Celebrities wear t-shirts that tell us Jesus is their homeboy. Uh, popular spiritualists embrace the teaching of Jesus, but only the, the teachings that fit into their philosophy. And then we have paintings that depict Jesus as this gentle, glowing, golden boy who wouldn't hurt a fly. And, and the problem with these disinfected versions of Jesus is that they are totally disconnected from the realities of our real life, providing for us a Jesus who does little more than give advice. I don't know about you, but I don't need a homeboy. I need a warrior. I don't need a philosophy. I need my world rocked. <laughs> I don't want a weak Jesus. I need a powerful savior. Now, the good news is when we take a closer look at who Jesus really is, that's the Jesus we discover. The book of Luke gives us this amazing, transforming picture of who Jesus really is. It's a Jesus that we need. It's a Jesus that we need, but not necessarily a Jesus we expect. It, it, and we see this in the early chapters of Luke. We've been seeing Jesus do all sorts of unexpected things. Healing people, casting out demons, boldly confronting religious leaders. I mean, amazing stuff. And he's not done. So if you have your Bible with you or your smartphone, iPad, whatever you're using there um, for your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. In this passage, we again see Jesus doing something that is totally unexpected. It is something that caught everyone by surprise in Jesus' day. Totally blew them away. And quite honestly, it's something that we often today have a hard time truly embracing and getting our heads around. While, while there are lots of unexpected things about Jesus, one of the most unexpected of all is who he hung out with, who he spent time with. 
I mean, when, it, when a dignitary comes to town or a fame, some famous musician or whatever, I mean, they, they, are, they are surrounded by bodyguards, right? Surrounded by bodyguards, they're whisked away in, in limousines. Their schedule is, is filled with meetings with really, really important people. The best the rest of us peasants can hope for is maybe a wave, right? Or, or possibly a handshake before they rush into some meeting. This is the way our world works, The more power and fame you have, the more isolated and distant and inaccessible you become. Luke has already told us several times in these early chapters of of, of Luke that, that Jesus' fame is growing, not only in rural Galilee, which is the area in which Jesus grew up, religious leaders in Jerusalem are hearing about this guy. They're hearing about Jesus, and they're actually coming to see him do his thing, right? He's a big deal. Throngs of people are gathering to see him, to hear him teach, to experience his healing. Now, we would expect that all this fame and popularity would result in Jesus becoming less accessible to ordinary folks like you and me, right? Increasingly surrounded by the upper echelon of religious leadership. But that's not what happened. Look with me at what Luke tells us, beginning in chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is God's Word. Again, totally unexpected. What happens in this passage is that Jesus goes up to a tax collector named Levi who happens to be sitting at his tax booth. Now, initially, this sounds pretty like a pretty respectable thing. He has his own little office, right? His own booth there. He's working hard, good, honest labor. But that's not what was going on here. Tax collectors were despised by the Jews for a couple of reasons. One, they had sold their soul to the man, to Rome. They worked for the Roman government, the very government that was oppressing the Jews. Not only that, they were greedy. They were corrupt. The taxes that they charged were often exorbitant, sometimes as much as 50%. And they would take out plenty of that money for themselves, which is often why they lived in really nice houses, as we see here. Levi is able to throw a large banquet in his home. He lived in a nice home. So imagine how that would feel. Every day you walk by the large spacious home of a local tax collector as he sits by his pool enjoying a margarita, sending his kids off to Harvard, and you knowing that he's living off of money that was rightfully yours. Now the fact that Levi was in a tax booth Luke tells us he was in a tax booth. This is another reason why Levi was not on the community most admired list. These tax collectors, what they would do is they would often set up a little temporary booth. They would just go to a a busy intersection, a busy place. They would set up a a temporary booth in the market or whatever, and it it literally became a toll booth. 
They would just demand taxes on anyone walking by based on their purchases, based on what they had there. And because Levi had the backing of Rome, no one could do anything to stop this. No one could do anything about it. That's Levi. That's Levi. He's the guy everyone hated, everyone distrusted, everyone avoided. He's the Bernie Madoff of the day, okay? Corrupt, greedy to the core of his being. And because of this, the religious leaders avoided him. Their whole religion was based on this idea of moral purity, being morally pure, being separated from sinners. Anyone who wasn't keeping their moral rules was not only looked down upon by them, that person would be, they were avoided, they were unclean, they were ostracized. Judaism at that time had really become this religious caste system. It really had. It had become like this religious caste system based on moral purity. And you did not. You did not cross those barriers. But Jesus did. Did he ever? So as Jesus is out in the community, he sees Levi, this tax collector. He goes right over to him. Everyone else is avoiding him. Jesus goes right over to his booth and says, follow me. And Levi does. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. Now, most likely, this is not the first time he has met Jesus. They probably had other conversations. But now, Jesus calls him to follow. And Levi says, yes. Now, now the the next thing that Luke tells us is that Levi held a great banquet at his house in Jesus' honor. And lots of Levi's tax-collecting friends come to this party. So Jesus is there, hanging out with all these sinners, These greedy, corrupt people, rather than sitting around discussing theology with the religious elite in their ivory towers or whatever, right? This is where Jesus is hanging out. Again, so unexpected and so cool, really. It is so cool. It shows us in vivid ways what Jesus is like. He he, he is a guy who initiates relationship with people who are far from God. He is a guy who is totally comfortable hanging out with people who don't even have God on their radar. He even eats with them. In that culture, eating together was, it was huge, relationally. It was a significant sign of friendship. Sharing a meal, a significant sign of friendship, of deepening intimacy. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He, he draws near to people who are broken, who are messed up, who are selfish, who are greedy, who are materialistic, who are corrupt. Jesus goes out of his way to hang out with sinners like Levi and his friends and people like you and me, which is so cool. Again, it shows us his heart that he is for us. That that no one, no one is too far removed from him. Jesus is willing to hang out with any sinner. Now, the problem is, I think one of the problems here as we wrestle with this, a lot of times we just stop there with the story. We just stop there. We emphasize how Jesus hung out with sinners, how Jesus was comfortable at parties, and we draw the conclusion that Jesus is okay with sin that he's okay with sin, that he doesn't really care about how we live our lives. He just loves to hang out with us. Um, But that's not what we see in this passage. 
There is a why to the story. There is a reason Jesus hung out with sinners. He tells us exactly what his motivation is. Look again at how he answers the critics who wonder why he's hanging out with sinners, right? Look at how he answers them. Verse 31, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, notice Jesus' motivation. It is not just to be hip. It's not just to be cool. It's not to fit in with the crowd and have friends so he's not lonely. No, no. His his motivation is absolutely clear. He is called to help these people experience spiritual health. He's the physician in the analogy here. The spiritual physician. He is called to help these people experience spiritual health. to, to, To help them experience wholeness in him. That's what they need. That's what we need, right? We all need our souls healed. We all need the love and the life and the purpose and the forgiveness that Jesus brings. We need our hearts changed. That's why Jesus draws near to sinners like us. That's why. That's the purpose. That's the reason. You see, the enemy of God tells us that our sins are a wall. Our sins are a wall. Here's what I mean by that. That unless we are righteous, God wants nothing to do with us. This is one of Satan's most powerful lies because it keeps spiritually sick people from turning towards the one who can actually heal them. So it's that voice, see if you can relate to this. It's that voice that says, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You drink too much. You're addicted to porn. You're having sex with your boyfriend. You cheated on your taxes. You're divorced. You struggle with same-sex attraction. See, Satan would love to make us feel so guilty about these things that we actually turn away from God and we hide in the shadows behind this wall of shame. But you see, Jesus came to tear down that wall. He came to tear down that wall. He is for you and me. He longs to bring his healing, his life, his hope, his forgiveness into our lives. None of us here are too sinful for his love to touch us. None of us. You are not too sinful for his love to touch you. But there is a crucial response that is needed. Jesus tells us what that response is. Repentance. Repentance. That's what he says here. Jesus says here he is called to, he is called to, uh, he has come to call sinners to repentance. What is repentance? To repent is to see our sin from God's perspective rather than our perspective. Rather than accepting our sin, minimizing it, excusing it, embracing it, we acknowledge that our sin is abhorrent to God and deserving of his wrath. That's what repentance is. Jesus says, that's what I'm calling sinners to. Repentance. That's why I'm hanging out with sinners. That's why I'm hanging out with, with, with sinners. I want them to repent and come to me. Is there something right now in your life that you think is a wall between you and God? 
some secret sin, some issue from your past, something you deep down believe has permanently placed you on God's B list, out of commission. Here's the truth. Jesus has not removed himself from you. He wants to help you. He wants to bring his life and his forgiveness into your situation. All he asks is that you and I repent, that we acknowledge our sin, that we turn to him. Now, this repentance thing is not easy. Sometimes it is. If our lives are miserable in the midst of sin, sometimes it's not easy. Some of you here, some of us here may be actively participating. You may be doing something you know God says is a sin, but you don't really feel that bad about it. Perhaps your prayer, this is almost a pre-repentance prayer. Perhaps your prayer needs to be, Lord, I'm willing for you to change my heart. I'm asking you to give me your desires. Help me see my sin the way you do. God, God will answer that prayer. See, repentance sometimes is a, is a journey that begins with a prayer like that. God, I, just, I need to see the way you see. God longs to help answer. He longs to help us see the way he does, our sin the way he does. Now, other times, God uses circumstances to bring us to a place of forgiveness as we experience the consequences of our sin. And then there are other times when God uses a general dissatisfaction with the direction of our life, the direction our life is headed. And I think this is, I think this is what happened to Levi. Um, here's Levi in his tax booth doing what he's always done collecting taxes, counting money, etc. And Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Now, here's the question that just as I was studying this passage, was thinking about, and, and I think all of us need to wrestle with it. What would make Levi say yes to Jesus' invitation? I mean, seriously. What would possess a man to immediately leave his job, his comfortable income, his lifestyle, just like that? What would possess a man to do that? What would possibly cause someone to do that? There's only one plausible explanation in my mind. It's because Levi's life wasn't really working. Levi's life wasn't really working. Sure, he had lots of stuff. Well-paying job, nice house, three-car garage, swimming pool, country club membership. But deep down, he knew it wasn't satisfying. Materialism, greed were leaving him Empty, And he knew in his heart that there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more. Do you know anyone like that? Or, or maybe it's you. You finally graduated or finally got married. You finally got that promotion or that new car or home or whatever. Had that baby, that vacation home, whatever. But that empty, aching place inside still longs to be filled. And you're wondering, is this it? Why am I not satisfied? Still not satisfied. I think that's what was going on with Levi. I think that's where Levi was. So Jesus comes along and he starts talking with him about the kingdom of God, about, about living with a different set of values, living with a different purpose. And something was awakened in Levi. A, a longing, a desire for what Jesus described. So when Jesus came up to his booth and said, 
follow me. Levi pushed aside the fear and the potential loss of comfort and, and all of those things. And he said, yeah, yes, let's do this. See, again, this is the point of Jesus hanging out with sinners. It is not to simply leave us in our sin and our emptiness and our addiction and our fears. No, no, no. It's not just to leave us there. <laughs> the reason he hangs out with sinners is to invite us into something better, a new life, a new life. So, so what does this new life look like? When Levi said yes to Jesus, there were two very significant and foundational changes that happened almost immediately that happened in his heart and life. And these are the same two changes Jesus wants to bring in our lives as well. First change, there was now in Levi a Jesus-centeredness. A Jesus-centeredness. Up to this point, Levi's life had been about self. His primary agenda was his own satisfaction, his own comfort, his own desires. I mean, isn't this the life that we, we all subconsciously strive to obtain? No one telling us what to do. We're in control of our lives. We're in control of our time and our schedules. That's the life we long for. And yet when we get there, we realize, like Levi, it doesn't really satisfy it can leave us empty and at times can fill us with anxiety or, or despair. Is this it? So notice Jesus' invitation to Levi. Very important. He didn't say, clean up your life. He didn't say, stop being so greedy. He didn't say, pray more, go to church more. No, Jesus simply said, follow me. Follow me. Those two words describe a radical shift in orientation. To follow implies that someone else is in charge. Someone else is leading me. I'm following. That must mean someone is leading, right? Someone else is leading me. And that someone is to be Jesus. Living a life in which Jesus is at the center of everything. Now, this is where it gets confusing, I think, for, for many of us here. I think a lot of times we develop a compartmentalized approach to life. Here's our job. Here's our family. Here's our leisure time. Here are our friendships. Here are our finances. Here's our spiritual life. We have these, these compartments. Each item has its own compartment. And then Jesus just becomes kind of one thing on our list. He just becomes one compartment. But, but that's not what following Jesus is about. In Matthew 6, Jesus acknowledged all these practical needs. He's talking about um, um, wanting clothes and finances and all these things, food, shelter, all those things. He, he talked about all that. And then he put it all in perspective with this incredible verse, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. See, notice the life that Jesus is describing. It is not, it is not a compartmentalized life in which Jesus is just one compartment. Oh, well, he's a bigger compartment. Well, it's not even that. <laughs> it's not a compartmentalized life where he's just one compartment. No, it's a life in which Jesus is actually at the center of everything. Jesus is at the center of everything. Our job, he's at the center of that. Our finances, he's at the center of that. Our family life, center of that. Our schooling, center of that. Leisure time. In, in every area, 
we are following Jesus. Now, what might this look like? I think of Juan and Melissa who were running themselves ragged with kids' activities and work, not feeling connected to each other or to their children, not feeling they were investing spiritually in their kids. So they decided, they got so frustrated with this, they decided one day to slow down long enough to ask Jesus about this. No longer just in a compartment, but ask him about what was happening in, in their lives. What would he have them do differently? And when they asked that question, an idea came to mind. Let's carve out time after dinner to read a scripture and to talk about it briefly with, as a family. And then we'll pray for each other. It's very simple. Well, Juan recently told me how his kids are loving it. It has spilled over into how they interact as a family. How, they, how it, it, it has impacted how they now respond to challenges with prayer what children are initiating, prayer together. He was so excited about how Jesus was now becoming a more integral part of their life as a family. That's Jesus-centeredness, right? It's not just one compartment. Jesus-centeredness, that's the invitation from him. It's not about having him be just one part among many. It's about welcoming him into every part of our lives. Follow me, he says, Let me lead you and be a part of every aspect of your life. So this could be as simple as praying about spending decisions before we purchase something. Jesus, what do you want us to do here? It could be as simple as praying about schooling options for our children or praying about which activities our child should be involved in rather than assuming they should just do whatever they want, whatever they're interested in. I know all those are challenging decisions. Are we bringing Jesus into those decisions? Those are real life decisions. So the invitation is to follow him in every area of life. So that's the first change we see in Levi. A a new Jesus-centeredness rather than a self-centeredness. A Jesus-centeredness that impacted him vocationally, relationally, socially. Which leads to a, a second change. We see in Levi's life, when he said yes to Jesus, there there was now an other person focus. An other person focus. What's the first thing we see Levi doing here? He throws a banquet. He throws a huge party. And he invites all of his friends to come and meet Jesus. He wants them to have what he has found. This is a profound change we see in Levi's life. He stopped using people and began serving them. He stopped using people for his own ends, and he began serving them. He became other person focused. He didn't want to just—he didn't want to keep this Jesus for himself. Now he wanted his friends to know Jesus, his coworkers to know Jesus. So he generously throws a party, and he invites all of them to come. This is one of the key indicators of the level to which we're truly following Jesus, the level to which He is influencing our lives. Are we other person focused? Are we other person focused? Are we primarily about using other people to make our lives more comfortable? Or are we primarily about serving other people, meeting their needs? One of the things I love about this account here is in Luke 5 is that Levi just started where he was. I love this. He just started where he was. He, he just started with the relationships he already had, and he began serving them. 
which is a profound insight for us. We don't need seminary degrees. We don't need leadership training or ultra deep Bible study or whatever in order to follow Jesus. I mean, those things may be good, but we don't need those things in order to follow Jesus. We can start where we are. We can start where we are. We can start with the the person who lives next door to us or the person in the dorm dorm next to us. The person lives next to us in our neighborhood and we can start asking, how can I serve this person? How can I serve them? How can I bless this person? How can I focus on them rather than on me and and my agenda and, and my needs? This is not easy. I mean, really, it's not easy. In fact, I think sometimes... Honestly, we would prefer a seminary class or a Bible study to this. Sometimes those things are easier than actually just doing this, living with an other person focus. It's not easy. But it's what Jesus calls us to do. Actually, let me clarify this. Because I don't want this to be a guilt-ridden exhortation. You need to, you know, we need to do this. And I don't want it to be that big. Because it's not here. Think about this. Why did Levi throw this party Why did he throw this party? It wasn't because Jesus told him to. It wasn't out of guilt. Jesus guilted him into this. No, the the reason Levi did it was out of his own volition. This was his initiative. And here's what was going on. He was so excited about meeting Jesus and so grateful for what Jesus had done for him that he couldn't wait for his friends to meet this Jesus. That's what's going on here. I mean, what if you met a man downtown who was giving out $100 bills? Or what if you found an amazing new restaurant that was giving out free steak dinners? Or what if you found a doctor who was healing cancer or a pill that gave you six-pack abs? You would want everyone you care about to know, right? You wouldn't want to keep that, 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 that good news a secret. See, Levi was overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude for what Jesus had done for him. And he was not about to keep it to himself. See, that's how an other person focus, that kind of heart gets cultivated in us. It's not through guilt. it's, It's in realizing what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus has blessed us beyond measure, we can choose to bless others. Now, there are obviously many ways to grow in this, but I want to take a moment and highlight a way we as a church can grow in this other person focus together. And that is through ShareFest, which will occur in two weeks, Sunday morning, September 6th. You heard me right, Sunday morning. Instead of our usual worship services that weekend, all of our campuses are going to be joining together to serve our community in practical ways. Last year, we had had over a thousand people involved. It is going to be an awesome experience. We're going to have teams doing house repairs for people in our community who have a need. We're going to be having sending teams to various schools and helping spruce up the schools for the coming school year. We're going to have a team doing a single mom oil change. It's all about serving others, being other person focused. It's all about being the church rather than just going to church. Now, I was going to say that there won't be worship services that weekend, but that's not really true. We will not have our typical worship services at our campus with teaching and singing that weekend, but we will be worshiping. We will be worshiping. We will be worshiping God by offering him our hands and our feet to serve others in Jesus' name. 
three hours of serving together, and then we finish with a picnic lunch outside of our 15th Street campus. It's going to be a blast. You will not want to miss it. Now, this year, all of our registration is online. You can, you can sign up as a group, which I've done with a group that we're in, or you can sign up as a family or as an individual. You can even pick your project this year. Now, that means that when a project fills up with enough people, it will be removed from the website, so you won't be able to see it anymore. So the earlier you register, the better. Invite friends, family. Let's make September 6th an amazing day where we live out what it means to follow Jesus. You never know. You never know what opportunities might arise, what doors God might open just to pray for people, to love on people. We we get to be the church. Honestly, my goal, my hope is that every person who is a part of Christ's community will be a part of that day. Now, if you are unable, if you're unable to do physical labor, that's okay. There are other ways to help. You can help with a picnic lunch. You can help behind the scenes. You can help with deliveries. You can help with prayer, cleanup. Everyone can be a part of this. So please sign up as soon as possible. To do so, just go to our website. You can click on the ShareFest banner and it will lead you through this very simple process. And then once you've registered, you'll then be, begin receiving emails which will give you more logistical details. The, the event's going to start Sunday morning, 8 a.m. We're going to gather at 15th Street and, and, and on the 6th of September, that's Sunday. And then we're going to finish at noon with lunch um, here. And, and I, I love, I love ShareFest. More than that, I love being a part of a church that is not simply concerned about our own needs, but is, is constantly looking, trying to look beyond our walls to serve and to love others. That's what following Jesus looks like. We follow a Jesus who moved towards us. Even when we were sinners, he moved towards us. He gave his life for us. What a privilege we have to give of our time and our talents to love other people in this community. It's going to be awesome. It's fun to to be the church rather than just do church. All right, let's, let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for this amazing picture of Jesus, your son and his heart for sinners like us. Lord, we admit so often we feel like there's a wall because of what we've done, the the life we've lived, the sins we've committed, the decisions we've made. We we feel like there's a wall and that you don't want anything to do with us. And we thank you that your heart is to tear down that wall and come after us, to pursue us, to love us, to draw near to us, to help bring healing into our lives. And I want to just, as we're we're just praying here, and you can keep your head bowed, but I want to give an invitation here because there are some of you, and there really is a wall. Um, The Bible makes it clear that our sins, without Jesus, our sins separate us from God. It's a giant chasm like the Grand Canyon and and even more than that that separates us from God. God's holy and we're not. And this is what the gospel is all about. Even though we could do nothing to get to God on our own, he came to us. 
through his son, Jesus. Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty you and I should have paid. He took the hit for us. He paid for our sin. And when he did that, suddenly he made a way for sinners like you and me to be in a love relationship with him. He made a way for our sins to be forgiven. It's amazing. And here's the interesting thing. It's not something we can work for. Some people, oh, I can get to God if I just work hard enough, just go to church and do all these good things. That's not the way it works. The way into this relationship is through repentance, what we just talked about. Admitting that you can't get there on your own. Admitting your sin. And placing your trust in Jesus. And so I want to give an invitation here. There may be some of you here, and you know that's exactly what you need. You need, you long to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus. A relationship that's totally dependent upon his work, not yours. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You can pray this with me in the silence of your heart and enter into a relationship with God. So pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I realize that you are holy and I'm not. And there is a chasm between us. I'm separated from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. And I realize there's nothing I can do to get to you. No matter how hard I try, I'm still separated. But you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and then to give himself as a sacrifice for me. Jesus, you gave your life on the cross so that I would have life. And I choose right now to place my trust in you alone. I bring you my failures. I bring you my sins, my questions, my doubts, even the good deeds I try to do to impress you. I bring all of that. I lay it on your shoulders. And I now receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. Forgive my sins past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. Forgive them all and come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Change me from the inside out. God, I just pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this new relationship. And for those of you who prayed that prayer, I just want to commend to you Alpha, which starts up in September, a great way to begin growing in your faith. Boy, I want to pray for all of us here, that those that know you, that we, you would be the, doing this work in us, a Jesus-centeredness in our lives not a compartmentalized life where Jesus, you're just one compartment. I pray you would be the center of every area of our life, every relationship, every decision, every workplace environment, school, every part of our lives, we want to follow you in that. So I pray for wisdom for all of us to know what that looks like, to follow you. And then I pray for an other person focus that we would step out of our comfort zone, step out of our self-centeredness, which we all struggle with, and we would serve others and bless others. And so we pray for that for ShareFest as a church, but even beyond that, just as our lives, our neighborhood and our dorm and 
our, our, our workplace, just our lives, that we would live with an other person focus. So help us, Holy Spirit, fill us and help us do that and grow in that. And thank you that it really, the only reason is possible. It's not about guilt and it is about our hearts being filled with this knowledge of what you have done for us, Jesus. You came near to us. You gave your life for us. And it is out of gratitude that we want to give our lives to serve others. So we thank you for that, for being the amazing Savior you are.